Please listen carefully. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Study Space podcast created by the Uniplan team. My name is David. And my name is Julian. And we'll be serving as your host for today. So today we'll be discussing the importance of getting a head start on university by starting early. But before we start, I have to ask, Julian, what's inspiring you today? Well, David, that is a really good question. Um, I feel like what is inspiring me today is Georgia Tech because they have decided to grant me admissions to their online master's in computer science program. So I am particularly inspired by Georgia Tech being able to offer a fully online degree that's tailored to current um, current employees, like people, engineers who are currently employed full-time, but still allow them the opportunity to gain um, an advanced degree. So that's really, really inspiring to me. First of all, congratulations on your admission. Thanks. Um, second of all, it's actually a coincidence because what's inspiring me today as well is um, college because I'm going to be heading uh, in a month to Baltimore where I'll be studying at Johns Hopkins. Um, and I'm pretty excited because it's going to be the first time that I'm away from my home, uh, my comfort zone, the town where I grew up in. And I'll be in a new place with uh, lots of really academically motivated students. Um, Definitely a new environment, uh, lots of culture, and independence, for sure. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a different experience for you, but from yeah. from my personal experience, I'm going to say that being away from home, living at least away from your parents, but um, if you get the opportunity to live by yourself or live more independently than you are now, it's going to be an, a very, very valuable learning experience, and you're going to be so much more mature for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, now that we have that out of the way, um, let's start the podcast. So, Julian, I'm aware that um, in your first year of college, uh, you actually started kind of early. Uh, I'm aware a few weeks by reading up on the syllabuses that your uh, professors put out and then grabbing the textbooks and just reading up early, you know, um, starting your courses early, basically preparing for them. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, so that's right. So, in my very first year of university, I I was eager to prove myself. Um, oh, oh, by the way, I went to San Jose State University for my undergraduate degree, and I currently have uh, a bachelor's of science in computer science degree. Uh, so that's where I studied, um, and and that was that was three years ago now. So um, so in my first year of university, I did begin uh, quite early, um, and when I say begin, I mean like preparing for my first day of class because obviously first day of class like the actual very first day that you step onto university and you're going to class and it's going to be the very you know it's syllabus day you get to meet your professors you get to meet your classmates uh it's all really exciting stuff for a first time college student um, and also it's, it's even more doubly exciting when you're living on your own and it's a completely different area. I'm talking to, uh, to you, David, and also to people that are yeah. going to be moving away, um, far ho- from home to go to university. So it's going to be a, a, a new experience. It's going to be very different from what you're used to. So I was obviously very eager to prove myself. <clears throat> so what I did 
was I have the fortune of my university being a, a relatively techy university. Um, the professors generally are pretty good. Even the uh, even the more senior professors will actually upload their course syllabus or course syllabi to the web. Uh, on their personal websites, on their professional websites, or even on the university uh, department websites. So for me in particular, um, the the computer science department was was especially good at this. Actually, the computer science department website, there's a link there that contains all of the course syllabi for the current semester, as well as previous semesters. So in the case that um, I ended up uh, uh, enrolling in a course where the professor was less diligent about uploading a syllabus, I could actually go back into like the previous semester or the previous year and find the same syllabus because generally speaking, course syllabi don't change uh, semester by semester. So as long as you're using a relatively new syllabus, then you should be good to go. So I did that to fill in any gaps. Um, the only time that I feel like I struggled with this was with my GE courses where the professors were, um, were I guess, on average, less diligent about uploading their syllabus. But um, I was still able to find like older versions of the syllabus just by Googling. So it's, it's out there if you try to look for it. Um, some things that I did to, to, uh, to prepare for my first day of classes was obviously looking at the course syllabi, uh, reading about supplies, about the course details, like what's going to be taught. Um, and the thing about college syllabi that um, a lot of high school students might not be used to is the fact that college uh, university level syllabi are very, very detailed. Uh, and I say that in terms of the actual planned lectures that um, are, are often found in college level syllabi. So at the end of my course syllabi, there were uh, actual schedules like week one, we're going to be learning this topic. You should read this chapter from the textbook. We're going to have this homework assignment assigned. Week two, we're going to be covering this topic. Homework number one is due, etc. So all of that information is actually on the syllabus. And that's really valuable because then you start to get an idea about what assignments are due, what the pacing is like in terms of how much reading you'll be doing. And um, that just allowed me to sort of gauge uh, the, the amount of work that I would have to do across the semester. And of course, nothing um, on that schedule is extremely 100% firm. Nothing is ever going to change. I've most of the time had some things shift and change um, from that schedule. So obviously take it with a little grain of salt, but it was still extremely valuable. So basically just look through the syllabus, try to find your syllabus, look at the schedule. Um, I found the titles of the textbooks that I needed on those uh, sheets. But the only thing that I have to say about that is uh, beware as a, a an incoming college student to quickly jump on the boat to uh, buy your textbooks. <clears throat> because textbooks are really expensive, if you didn't know that already. Um, yeah, they're a couple hundred, I think, yeah. um, for all my textbooks. Yeah, yeah they, are, they are quite the investment. Um, and uh, unfortunately... 
And, and this is the case for my university. I don't know if it will be for you, David, but you'll have to 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 uh, we'll have to get back on this topic at some point um, in the future when you've had a little more um, exposure to to how much textbooks get used in the classroom. I will say w- from personal experience that um, I have had many instances. I'm not going to say most because I actually don't know, but but many instances I've had many I can I can think of many instances in which the uh, syllabus says that <clears throat> the listed textbook is a required text, and we never once used the textbook. Um, yeah, I've heard I've heard that a lot too. Obviously, I haven't been in school yet, but I've heard that a lot of the professors in the school actually don't require textbook use, even though it's technically listed as a required reading um, inside the syllabus. Yeah, right. But um, uh, there will be like maybe one in you know ten teachers that will actually um, force their students to bring the textbooks to class. But usually, you'll find out about that in the first or second um, week of school. So. Uh, most people advise me to wait until then to actually purchase the textbooks because most of the time you won't even need them and you can just use them online if anything. Yeah, so so the thing about course syllabi is that um, depending on the school, of course, uh, course syllabi is, is sort of like a... Uh, it's, it's hard to find the words. It's sort of... I, I, I don't want to say battle because it's it's not really a battle, but for lack of a better word, I'm going to call it a battle between the professor and the department that they work for. Uh, sometimes the department and and the univer- official university policy will say one thing, and and they will require professors to do certain things and have certain things and and abide by certain university policies, which is all well and good. We should always try to follow policy as best as we can. Um, but some policies don't make sense according to the situation. So, for example, um, I took a software engineering course. And um, it's a software engineering course, right? So it's it's going to be largely project-based. For all of you out there who don't know, software engineering is the application of computer science, by the way, in a nutshell. So this is practical application of theory. So you really can't get out of taking software engineering without really doing a project as part of the coursework, right? So in this sort of thing where you're applying theoretical foundations that you've learned in the form of a project, taking exams doesn't really make any sense in this course. And But obviously, my university requires that all courses on the university have a final exam. They don't really say anything about midterm exams, but they do say that all professors need a final exam, right? And um, so my professor put that there would be a final exam in the syllabus. I'm not going to name him, but um, he put that there would be a final exam on the syllabus and there was not a final exam during the course because <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense. Like it, it, it actually does not make sense to have a final exam. Like what is he going to ask you? Like what is define software testing? You know, like that doesn't that doesn't show understanding of the knowledge. You don't understand software testing until you've actually tested software. Hmm, yeah, that, that makes sense, yeah. So, so sometimes university policies conflict with what the professor believes to be the most effective way to teach a course, right? And so a right. lot of times the university or the department will require the use of a certain textbook. But if the professor has had extensive experience in the field, knows his or her stuff, 
they will choose not to refer to a textbook and just teach off of slides or teach off of their base knowledge, which is all well and good, right? So they will list a required textbook for the sake of the university to have it on the syllabus, but they won't use it, okay? Um, so obviously the best, the absolute best and surefire advice that I can give you in terms of textbooks use and in the classroom is to wait until the first day of classes and then actually ask the professor, are we going to use this textbook? If they lie, they lie. If they tell you the truth, like we're not going to actually use this textbook, then you're better off for it. That's all I'm going to say on that subject. I see. I see. Um, so if for my university, for example, um, I'm having a really hard time finding some of the syllabi of certain professors because I don't think they're, as you said, diligent um, as your professors were. Um, but I do have all the textbooks that I will need in each class. So if that's the case, uh, what do you advise me to do? So, um, hmm. So that's obviously if you have the textbook already, if you have access to the textbook, whether that be an ebook, a PDF, or actually physically having the textbook, um, my my best bet for you is to to um, read the introductory chapters. Like just get started on your reading. Um, you can dive deep and like start actually taking notes, like outlining your textbook chapters. The issue that I found was I actually did this when I first started my university, um, my university coursework. And like while it, it helped and, and it sort of uh, scratched the itch that I had to get started with university, a lot of the times when I found that I did this, the, the first couple of chapters of reading, because obviously you, you, you grow up learning to read a book from left to right, right? So obviously I start reading from chapter one. Logical right. thing, right? A lot of times the university professors will sort of skip chapters and start like chapter five and then go back to chapter one and then skip forward to chapter 15. You know, like they do that sometimes. So so um, so what I did was I just read from chapters one and, and, and onwards in order, in sequential order. And sometimes that... I see didn't really work. The, the professor would start somewhere in the middle at the beginning of the semester. And so obviously I wasn't taking notes and reading the right things. And mm. I ended up reading and learning all that stuff for, for really no reason at all. So, so when, you, when you actually did use the textbook, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, that's fine. When, when you actually did use a textbook, how did you um, take notes? Did you actually physically mark up a book or did you use an online uh, book and just write down notes on your own? So, so I happen to be more of an ebook kind of person myself. Mm -hmm. I don't, um, I don't, it's not that I don't like having physical books. I actually quite like physical books. I love the way that they feel. I love the way they smell. I love the way that I can turn the page and it's all like right there in front of my face. But the issue with textbooks is that they are inherently heavy and space, uh, they, they, they take up a lot of space, right? And, and that's an issue for me because as a college student living on my own apartment, I, space is a bit of a commodity. And also, I already dealt with the trauma of carrying like tons of books in my backpack in high school. I really don't want to do that anymore. There just isn't. By the way, oddly enough, when you transition from high school to college, the, the desks in the lecture halls for some odd reason get smaller, which, which, which doesn't really make any sense to me. 
Oh yeah, I've seen that. <clears throat> if you have yeah. the benefit of going into a sort of more uh, modern, uh, smaller classroom sort of a university, uh, you will find that the desks are actually quite large. Like they're long, glorious tables. Those were really nice. But sometimes I got put into a lecture hall where the desks were literally half the size of what I was used to in high school. So realistically right. speaking, I, I legitimately did not have enough desk space to even put like a, a full-size notebook on the desk. Like there was stuff hanging off. So lugging a textbook around isn't really in my best interest. So I'm more of an ebook person. <clears throat> I carry everything as much as I can on my iPad. Um, and, and that's where uh, I keep all of my textbooks. So... I have really never written or marked up a physical textbook before. Never really had that experience because I've, truth be told, I don't own a single hard copy of a textbook at all. Oh, I see. So you bought them all online or you... Yes, I, I bought them yeah, okay. all online uh, or I, I was provided a PDF by the original author, which was my professor. Mm -hmm. And he gave me permission to carry it around and, and, and use it and stuff like that. So, so if you have the benefit of having a professor who, who wrote up the textbook by him or herself, and they happen mm -hmm. to have a digital version, that's great. That's excellent. Um, always ask. Um, you never know. But having ebooks really helped me with the weight and space thing. And it also allowed me to take notes on those PDFs as well. I see. So um, aside from actually starting university early for those students that do have kind of an itch um, to start early, uh, what are some other things that you have done over your summers? Um, so research, internships, summer programs that have that you have found that have actually helped you with university? Hmm, that's a that's a really big question. Um, so aside from like looking ahead at the syllabus or or doing some advanced reading. Um, <clears throat> the, so the summer is a pretty good way um, or a pretty good time, I should say, at looking into a summer job <clears throat> um, because summertime is usually when students quit, right? And uh, it also yeah. happens to be the time that students also get hired. So I would say apply to your summer jobs or your um, your on-campus work studies if you if that's an option for you. Apply to those during the summer when when departments have have pretty much lost a lot of their student workers, it's because the summer is around the time that they start hiring new student workers. So look during the summer; that's a good thing to do. Um, also, summertime is when you have free time, and unfortunately, in this day and age, you have to spend that free time somewhat productively. And so, uh, students yeah. like to do internships and stuff during the summer. So apply to those. Um, if you're applying to internships, I don't know how how much luck you'll find for an internship going between high school to, to, to university. I happen to get one, but I know mm -hmm. that that's not um, a very extremely common thing. Yeah, I'll speak firsthand. I applied to a few internships, actually, and I got rejected from most of them because I was actually under 18. Um, and the ones that I didn't straight up get rejected from, I actually never got a reply back um, just because I think those positions were already filled or because those companies were really strict on their hiring and they're not really looking for a student who just came from high school going into college. 
Um, I've heard that it's easier to get an internship as a second or third year usually when you've acquired some skills, but it is possible um, to get an internship like earlier on. I know NASA does the program where they hire high school students actually. Yeah, one of my friends and you, Julian, um, both of you guys worked at NASA during high school, which is right. quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I can't say much about that first experience for policy reasons and, and, and uh, legal reasons, but I can speak to the second one where uh, I did work alongside high school students and they were actually quite amazing. Like, they were actually quite talented, but NASA internships in particular know that the internship is meant for you to learn things. So they don't really expect you to be able to contribute um, anything extremely productive to the team or to your mentor. Uh, in like when you, when you first begin, obviously it's an internship. So they are extremely patient and very helpful in your learning experience. Uh, so, so that's a really good thing if you can get it, but don't sweat it if you can't, because obviously it's extremely rare to have high school students work alongside uh, PhD researchers. You know, it's just a rare thing. Um, yeah, I know high school internships are extremely rare in general. Um, I was actually, uh, I applied for one back um, in the summer after my junior year, but I had to turn it down because I was... Um, doing a national competition in Philadelphia. So during that week, I would not be available during the internship. And they said that it was just too much um, too much leave time since it would be only a few weeks. Um, so that was quite unfortunate. I wish I could have had that experience. But uh, going forward, I know that um, I'm planning on applying to internships somewhere in my second or third year. Uh, ju- just on that note, um, when, when you say there's an internship for several weeks, um, in yeah. my experience... An internship that lasts for several weeks like that isn't going to give you the uh, the requisite amount of time to be able to learn and contribute productively. So an internship with that short time span, I would even argue to say that a summer internship is too little time. Like that, that's mm. that's my perspective on on so, being able to contribute in a valuable way. So as you said, if a summer internship is really not enough to teach. Um, students some of the skills that they need to have uh, would you suggest that students get um, an internship while they're in college see now here's 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 the weird thing is i'm gonna say something that sounds completely like backwards and 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 dumb so i just said that i would argue to say that summer internships don't give you enough time to to learn and be able to contribute effectively and such like that right but I will also right. say that if you decide to take an internship while you are also going to school, that it will be among the most pressured times that you will ever feel um, in your immediate career. And, and I say immediate because obviously, looking back on it, you're going to say, oh, that was fine, like whatever. And in the future, obviously, you're probably going to go through more trials and tribulations that perhaps, relatively speaking, will be worse than having an internship while going to school. So I'm going to say that, uh, and I'm speaking from actual personal experience because I did intern at NASA full-time, which, by the way, in the United States is defined as 40 hours per week is, is full-time. <clears throat> I was a full-time NASA intern and a full-time university student. Okay. 
my university and um, like student loan servicers and stuff define full-time status as 12 semester units or more as full-time. Okay. So, so I was doing full-time school, 12 units. Um, and then I was supposed to be doing 40 hours per week at NASA, but I happened to play my cards sort of smartly, like, like pretty, pretty cunningly. I would, I would, I would say for myself, uh, two of the courses that I enrolled in at my university were fully online. So I didn't have to physically be on campus to take those courses. Okay. So that's two. So that's half of my schedule, right? The other half, I had to be there. There were no other replacements for that. They were core computer science classes. Can't avoid them. Right. My internship was a software development internship, a software testing, and then I moved into development later. But um, anyway, my 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 primary role was working with software and development and testing. So the beauty of working in the software engineering industry is that it just happens to be quite easy nowadays to be able to do work at home. And my NASA mentor was extremely accommodating and respecting and totally understanding of my predicament of working and going to school at the same time. So he totally let me like come in whatever time I want, leave whatever time I want, as long as I got my work done every single week. That is all. So as long as I got my work done, he didn't care when I had to come and when I had to go. His only conditions were uh, I got my work done at the end of the week, and also I attended the group meetings every single Friday. That was it. So, I see. so while I wasn't at the base for a full forty hours, you know, time period, um, I still got my work done. I still impressed him with the quality and the amount of work that I was doing at the time. And I also scraped by that university term relatively unscathed. Now, while it was extremely valuable and, and I got an internship experience out of it, it was extremely stressful. I had very little time to myself. It was very pressing. Um, so for those of you who know me out there, I was in the middle of like a very, uh, a, a very, mm, how should I say this? A, a, a very progressed relationship at the time. It, it, was, it was quite serious. I was in a very, very serious relationship, right? So, so, so that relationship was, was stretched as thin as, um, as it probably will be for a long time. Okay, at the time, it was very pressing. So, so um, I can't recommend it to anybody who values... Uh, more free time and and life balance, but if you can stomach a semester, say uh, four to five months of living in an extremely stressful situation, then go for it. If you feel as though you that's not for you, then I would recommend against it and stick to the summer internships. Okay, I see. Um... And I'm aware that you also did research, but you didn't do that um, during summer, did you? You did that during your school year. Um, a little bit of both. So, um, <clears throat> so I, I approached my professor for the research opportunity during the summer, and she gave me some 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 uh, like heads head start 
reading to do before the semester actually began. So, so after getting my research opportunity approved with the computer science department, she just sent me a bunch of research papers to read over uh, the textbook that she was using. She actually had the PDF version of the textbook. Yay. Uh, and so she was like, read these chapters and, and you know, come back to me, uh, review these algorithms, and, and we can have a more productive discussion. So I had to read those over the summer. I didn't really meet with her that much uh, because it was more mostly just prep work, like just read these things and get ready. And then once the semester began, then I started meeting her regularly. It wasn't really like a, a, a class. Like we met... Uh, every other week uh, rather than every other day like normal university classes are so I, I met her every two weeks you know like that's a, that's pretty long span the reason see, the yeah. reason for this was uh, I had to to implement the algorithms that we were thinking about test them experiment with them test their validity test their uh, accuracy and their running time and stuff so a lot of it was 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 you know theoretical discussion but also a lot of it was implementing theory which is quite difficult to do especially for an undergraduate researcher so so yeah i mean i had to do it a, a little reading during the summer a lot of it um during the semester to implement the algorithms that we were talking about but uh but it wasn't it wasn't a lot during the summer i would say i, I wasn't really particularly worried about it i see um, so the next topic we're going to go on to is how to set up a study schedule and a daily routine before school actually starts. Um, but before we get into that, um, I'm going to take a second to talk about our app, which is UniPlan. Um, so obviously, this podcast is made to promote um, our app and everything that we do. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about it. So it can be difficult, obviously, for college students such as ourselves uh, to organize our daily lives. And UniPlan can serve as the all-in-one um, planner for university students who are struggling to get things together, um, plan out when they're going to study, um, when they need to attend class and everything. So Julian, if you could talk a little bit more about uh, some of the features of UniPlan and what it has to offer students. Yeah, so obviously having recently graduated from university, I know a thing about being a university student. I hope so, at least. So I graduated with honors in my degree. So so it's I I, I did a lot. I, I was I performed well during university. So so I think I'm qualified to speak on this subject at least and and develop an app like this. So <clears throat> so aside from starting this project, I happen to be one of the lead software engineers. And our app, which is a cross-platform app for iOS and Android, is supposed to be, as you said, David, an all-in-one solution for university students, college students too. Um, and you could perhaps use this for high school if you know if you happen to be a high school student that's you know listening to this podcast for the future. Yeah, I've I've used uh, I've used an organizing tool um, when I was in high school, and I found it pretty useful. Um, I'm 100% sure that any student could pick up UniPlan and also use it in high school. Although some of the features won't be as useful um, to you, um, it will definitely still be a great help for you to plan out your homework and your schedule every day. Yeah, as a as a general purpose sort of to do list um, and and keeping track of your assignments and stuff, it's a pretty good tool and and, and completely usable for high school. But if you want to have the full span and, and, and offerings of UniPlan, then um, being in college or being in university, you will find that that's given to you. Um, and some of the features I'm talking about are tracking your GPA, tracking your grades and stuff, which you'd think uh, would work for high school. 
But the the problem with a university GPA is that your your GPA actually changes uh, by your minus and pluses. So what I mean by that is an A minus is no longer considered a 4.0. So so um, and, and I speak. I say that because my high school or our high school, David, uh, considers an A minus still to be a 4.0, and and a B yep. is still a 3.0, whether or not it's a minus or a plus, right? Uh, a right. C is still considered a 2.0, whether it's a minus or a plus. So, so, so in high school, the the granularity between the GPAs uh, is is actually not as as um, as granular, for lack of a better word, as the university or college system. So, yeah. so, um, so we have that sort of calculation in the app, and and that's yeah. the reason why I say it's it's more tailored towards college and university students. Yeah, and also um, the amount of credits that each course has actually affect your GPA in a different way. So, if a course has uh, four credits and you get a high grade in that, it's going to affect your GPA more than if you got an A in a three credit course. Correct, and that's something that I know not all high schools um, have. So, so, so I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, another thing is that. Um, a lot of the the terms that we use in the app are actually tailored towards the university system. So when you put in your instructor, I believe I put professor, like I asked for a professor. Um, other things like units or credits is not really a concept in high school yet. Uh, course numbers, I know high school, some high schools have course numbers, but our high school happens to not have course numbers. We just have the title of the course like Algebra 2 Trig and Calculus and stuff like that. Whereas in the university system or college system, we almost always have course numbers like CS146 or Math 32, stuff like that, right? So, so, so those things represent courses and we have that sort of terminology used all over the app. So, but you can still totally use it for high school. One feature that I'm particularly proud of is the concept of being able to track your personal energy levels and using that data to sort of automatically schedule your tasks. Um, and I know that there are other apps that do this, like Sorted Sorted 3 or Sorted Cubed. I'm not entirely sure how to say that. But um, but Sorted is is a, an app that you, 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 it's a paid app on iOS. Um, for for the phone and and for the iPad, um, they don't have a desktop offering, which is unfortunate. But we don't either, so that's okay. Um, the, but the Sorted app, uh, they have this feature called Auto Schedule, which basically takes all the tasks that you've listed out for a particular day, and uh, and obviously you need to put in a a duration for how much you estimate that task to take. Like say, doing the laundry will take approximately thirty minutes to do. So you put in laundry 30 minutes as a duration, and then let's say you have like a string of those tasks laid out for a day. You select auto schedule, and then the app will basically just pick and choose uh, time slots in your day, and um, it'll just give you a schedule for the day. So it sort of removes the thinking away from scheduling your day, which frees up mental resources to actually do those activities. And I think that's actually a really, really cool feature of Sorted. The, the thing that I like about our app is that it leverages this sort of theory about personal energy levels. And David, you, tell me if you've ever read a book called The Productivity Project by Chris Bailey. I've never read that. So, so you should. Um, it's a really great book on productivity. It's written by this guy named Chris Bailey, um, and he's 
pretty much generally considered as one of the one of the uh, um, one of the gurus in the productivity personal productivity space. He's he's considered an expert on the subject, and in his book, one of the first things that you learn is you, it's important to track your energy levels. Like, how do you feel on a scale of one to ten? Every single hour for several days, up to a week, maybe two weeks. We ask for up to two weeks of data to be able to predict um, or or give a good estimate. So what happens is, if you track your personal energy levels, say, how do you feel for on a scale of one to ten, where ten is you feel extremely energetic, or one you feel like you want you're going to pass out. If you track that every single hour during your working hours, like from your wake up, from the time you sort of shut off and 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 you don't want to do anything anymore, if you track that for a certain span of time, at some point you're going to find that certain times of the day you feel extremely energized, and sometimes of the day you feel less energized. And it turns out that these trends are unique by the person. Nobody has the same sort of um, biometric energy trend. So he calls this his biological prime time or our biological prime time. And so um, I have struggled to find a good um, app. I'm an app person. I'm a developer, so I like apps. I use applications. So I haven't been able to find an app that properly does this. So I decided I took it upon myself to implement this sort of logic. So in UniPlan. You can track your energy levels. You can add data points. Say, rate your energy level.、Uh, let's say at around 12 p.m., I feel uh, a a uh, an eight. It's the middle of the day. I feel pretty good. And then towards the night, I'm less of a night person than you might think I am. So at around 7 p.m., I sort of shut off and I feel at about a three. But in the mornings, I feel better. Right? I'm at around a seven or a six. Right? So higher. And then eventually, it graphs a trend of my energy levels, and the tasks that you've laid out on your to-do list will be automatically scheduled towards the times that you feel most energized. So the tasks like study for the midterm is a high priority task, and you've marked it as high priority. You can、uh, schedule that towards your. High energy levels, your hours of high energy levels, and you're more focused. You are basically set up for success in that way. So that's one of my favorite features of the app. Right. So yeah, aside from being a organizational tool, UniPlan can also be used as a productivity tool, which I think is pretty cool, and I think it's very beneficial、uh, for all university students who are looking for academic success and looking to be extremely productive、um, in their studies. So. Uh, back to the main podcast topic.、Um, so obviously, before school starts,、uh, students really want to have a study schedule and a daily routine, kind of、um, somewhat set up in their mind. So, can you tell us a little bit about how you、um, set up your your schedule before school, your school actually started? Yep. So, so I think one of the most important things that you need to get down first before you establish a study schedule. <clears throat> is your sleep schedule?、Um, unfortunately, it, it is the stereotype of being a college student to be more of a night owl or perhaps、uh, an overnight kind of a person, like an all-nighter kind of a yeah, person. Yeah, I've heard that so much. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a bad stereotype, and and、um, unfortunately, it's 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 not a healthy stereotype. Right. 
what what is perhaps more unfortunate is that I found it to be generally uh, closer to the truth than it is uh, false. There are a lot of students I know that are definitely all nighters, um, and and that's definitely not healthy, right? So the first thing that you need to get down before you get started with any sort of thinking about a schedule or a routine is to get down that sleep schedule. It's yep. it's not a mystery or it's not unknown to any college student that in primary and secondary education, you woke up early to go to school at, say, 7 or, you know, 7.30 or 8 a.m., right? That's when classes begin. So you woke up early already for pretty much your entire life up until this point, correct? I should hope so. Correct. Yeah. So there is absolutely no reason for you to give up that trend now that you're in college, right? Right. It may be tempting for you to give up on that sleep schedule because you have so much more control and say in your schedule. You get to pick your classes, by the way. So you you can start later if you want to, if you're that kind of a person, which is totally fine. Or you can start earlier like I do. Like I always try my best to schedule my classes at 7.30 a.m. And a lot of college students out there listening to this podcast are probably thinking I'm an insane person. You might yeah, be right. That, that That's incredible because I've... um. Yeah, most people really hate anything that starts, I think, at around 8 a.m., anything super early. It's just, no. Yeah, at my university, virtually every single student hated anything before 9. Yeah. So, so, but I was the kind of person who really enjoyed taking 7.30 a.m. courses. And I liked that because if I started earlier... I ended earlier and I had the rest of the day to do whatever I wanted, including passing out if I felt tired. So I would say stick to the trend or stick to your habit of waking up early in the morning and sticking to that even on weekends because it's important to keep the consistency of your sleep schedule so that you aren't sort of um, shocked by, uh, you know, having to wake up early or being the kind of student that's like late to class every single day. Don't be that kind of student, especially in your first year. So get down the sleep schedule. Um, I actually, fun fact, you might think I'm crazy for this, but I actually schedule sleep like in my, in my daily schedule, I have sleep as like a time block in my schedule. And that's important because it reminds me that sleep is a health thing that many, 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 many people don't have down. Yeah, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy at all, actually. Um, yeah, sorry to interject, but... but right, but, but yeah. other students will think that it is crazy. Oh, yeah, definitely, because people don't really plan it out. Um, I actually, yeah. when I was at uh, Johns Hopkins for my um, kind of university fly-in, kind of like admitted student tour, um, our tour guide actually said it was really tempting to him uh, his first year to just get out of bed like five minutes before class since his dorms are right on campus, just run to um, the lecture hall and just attend class right there. But he said this was really horrible for him. He did it like a few times, but he stopped afterwards because he realized that it wasn't uh, letting him prepare for class. It wasn't giving him the good start that he had every day. So he'd end up going into the lecture hall really groggy. He wouldn't be able to retain any information. So it's really important to just get up early and actually prepare for your classes before you um, enter them because otherwise you're basically wasting your education yeah there you go um my 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 managers at oracle right now like to say that if you're on time you're late so it is always better to be early to your class than it is to be 
right on time because being right on time means you're late. Um, and an an incentive, if you value this is, um, being able to find good seats in a classroom is easier if you're early to class. So if you're the kind of student that like you need to sit in the front in order to take in any information, the front seats, uh, sometimes are harder to get because there are, as university, sometimes you're pitted against, or you are, you sit alongside very high achieving students and those high achieving students like to sit in the front sometimes. So if you're that kind of a person, it's difficult to sit in the front. I find that most students like to sit in the middle. So if you're that kind of a student, uh, then coming to class right on time, you won't be able to find a seat in the middle. You'll probably have to sit in the back or right in front if you're uncomfortable with sitting right in front of the professor. So that's an incentive if you if you need that sort of incentive. Um, but but I would say that that first of all, I need to clarify that I'm I'm pushing for you to schedule your sleep or or value your sleep schedule. I am in no way saying that if you're the kind of person who likes to wake up later in the day and you're more productive at night, that you should wake up early because the research shows that there is actually no socioeconomic difference between early birds and night owls. Okay, so so that's one thing. The important thing is to actually value six to eight hours of sleep every single night. And I have maintained that consistently throughout my entire university career, and I've kept it up to this day. And I feel better, I feel healthy, and I am glad. I'm trying to think about how many times I've actually like pulled an all-nighter for a university assignment or project, and I don't think I have ever once pulled an all-nighter in college. I'm trying to think of an instance, because I feel like something like that, something so rare, I would actually remember it. And I can't think of an instance in which I actually stayed up all night for the purposes of a university assignment. I'm trying to think, and I I, I can't think think, of it. I think people are jealous of you right now because I know a lot of people, a lot of people who like to pull all-nighters, not even like, but they're just kind of forced to because they procrastinate um, on assignments and everything. So, um, actually... How were you able to do that? Um, how are you able to finish so quickly? Because obviously you're getting a lot of sleep like every day, six to eight hours. So how are you? How are you still um, able to finish all that work um, even though you were getting so much sleep? The key, I think, is to reduce distraction. Um, so so you can go as extreme with this as you as you want, or you can be as loose as this as you um, as you can. So you can go as extreme as to shut off the Wi-Fi if if surfing the web is actually a problem for you. Uh, this might be easier for students that are, say, doing, um, reading or doing math homework. You don't really need internet access for that sort of work, so you can turn off the Wi-Fi if that's what's distracting you. If you absolutely require internet access, like my roles and my courses a lot of the times do, um, then you can use extensions like browser extensions. Um, I forget which ones because I've never had to use these personally. Um, I'm not bragging, but I'm saying like I've never had to use them, so I'm not entirely sure about the names, but you can look them up. It's pretty easy to find. There are browser extensions that actually block your access to certain websites. Like you can list YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all those websites blocked 
um, on your browser. So you, when you mm-hmm. visit them, they won't allow you to get in there un- unless you, you know, say like, just let me in. Like you can obviously do that, but yeah. the the added friction of of accessing those websites and those services will actually sort of turn off. Like, no, oh, like okay, I'm not going to go through the trouble of putting in my password to, you know, unlock this website. Um, so so you can do that. For me personally, having a separation between my living space and my workspace, or having like a work mode, quote unquote, and a and a relaxing mode, uh, really really helps. The mental separation does a lot for me. That's what work that that's what works best for me. Um, so so while I was at university, um, I got a standing desk. So for me, um, I work when my desk is in standing mode and I am relaxing or playing when my desk is in sitting mode. <clears throat> so I only ever um, like go on YouTube or go on Facebook and stuff and, and browse and play around when my desk is in sitting mode, like when it's down on the floor. Um, and then I raise it up to standing height when I'm working and doing homework and studying. So even that little thing, that little thing that there's no change in space, it's just the, it just it's just a, a a different thing in my working area that mental separation really helps me it feels like i'm at work this is standing i'm standing i need to work like it's it's just a thing um in one of the productivity self-help books that i've read it, it even works for a lamp um i forget which book specifically had this this example but but somebody uh, some book mentioned that a person was able to sort of establish this sort of mode um, by having a lamp. So they would turn on the lamp when they were working and then turn off the lamp when they were relaxing or not working. And they were able to use the same space for both play and work. The only difference was the light being turned on and off. And that created enough mental separation for them to be productive. When the light was on, it's work time. When the light was off, it's playtime. Um, for me, now that I have my own job and I'm able to afford something like this, I have a two-bedroom apartment. So the bedroom, obviously for the bed. The second room is not for the guest bedroom. It's actually for the office. So this room is where I work, and I don't play in this room. So I only ever do work in this office, right? So outside of this room, I'm relaxing, I'm playing, and I'm not being productive at all. So mental separation is my trick. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I did something very similar in my sophomore year. Um, so I basically have my desk area where I do everything, um, where I basically like whenever I want to go on Netflix, whenever I want to go on Facebook, whatever. But I also use this place to study. So in sophomore year, I found that to be too much of a distraction. So what I did was I actually moved over to a um, to my living room, actually, and I started doing my work there. And although it was sort of inconvenient at first, it ended up paying off a lot in the long run because I was able to compress like six hours uh, of reading into maybe two hours, which was very beneficial for me. Yeah. And uh, speaking uh, of the sleeping, yeah. Uh, oh, so I was just about to say um, it. It uh, another area that you can you can do is is obviously. At university, you can go to your library or any yeah. other study space. So, but I feel that, like a lot of people go to the library and just kind of, you know, do whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. But but the the reason why I bring it up is is because um, since there are other students hopefully working and studying at the same time with you, 
you would feel motivated yourself to actually do some work too. Because if, if, if you're that one guy that goes to the library and instead of working and studying, you're playing games or you're, you know, goofing off, then some students are going to look at you and say like, like, why are you even here? Like, why, do, why did you even, like, why did you even go here? You know? Um, and, and, it, you know, you can go to your, 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 your library or a, a classroom or a, a, you know, a study group club. Those are things in university. So, so if you're the one that goofs off, then you aren't going to look very good in front of them. So that's something that you can do too. Yeah, I mean, at my school, um, when I was touring, I saw basically study spaces everywhere. Um, like people were literally studying like in the middle of kind of a grass like field. Um, people were studying in these halls, these giant halls. People were obviously studying in the library. And the thing about the library is um, it actually has like I think four levels. Um, and each level you go down deeper, um, people are generally more likely to be quiet and more focused. So when you go down to the D level, which is kind of the meme of the university, um, nobody makes a sound. Like everybody down there is 100% focused and they're all studying. Whereas in the upper levels, there's going to be some people who are, you know, socializing, talking, playing around. So I think it's a really good strategy going down to the deepest level, but obviously not every university has that. Yeah, my, my university is actually the, the complete opposite of that. It's the complete reverse. So the first floor, the mm. lobby, is actually perhaps one of the noisiest floors. Oh, the second floor is not a silent floor. It's a it's a public and university combo floor. <clears throat> By the way, my university library at, the, at San Jose State it's a it's a public library and university library combo. So we share the building, um, but we sort of split up the floors. Um, so the the uh, well the the public and university share the first floor because obviously it's the first floor. It's the lobby. Like you know, what are you going to do? Uh, there is a second floor, which is a reference floor that's shared by the public and the university. So there are university volumes and there are public volumes. Third floor is public library only. So that's where all the general collections are. That's where you find your novels and, and stuff like that that you would normally find in a public library. Starting from the fourth floor and all the way up, those are university only floors. Okay. The fourth floor is sort of a fun floor where it's like university. There's lots of um, lots of there's a lot of Spartan um, uh, paraphernalia. There's lots of, you know, Spartans, go Spartans, SJSU, gold blooded and all that stuff. It's a fun floor. It's it's not a quiet floor. There's actually a lot of conversations and, and people like to do group projects here because it's a noisy floor. Um, the fifth floor is a is where you start the quiet floors. Okay, so these are where the university library has made it policy that on the fifth floor, the sixth floor, the seventh floor, the eighth floor, those are quiet floors. You must be quiet. And on certain floors, I think it's the seventh floor. It is 100% a silent floor. So there's a difference between a quiet floor and a silent floor at my university. Silent floor. That's (laughs) intense. Yeah, silent floor is absolutely no conversation. Like nothing, not even Mm -hmm. a whisper. The, uh, The quiet floors allow light whispers, not group discussions, but you can study with a partner and like whisper, very light whispering. Um, no phones, 
uh, like no ringtones at least, um, and like no phone conversations, obviously, and stuff like that. So we have designated floors for for silence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a thing. Um, if your university yeah. has that, then that's great. But I think it's generally understood, even if your university doesn't have those sort of policies, it's generally understood if you're a decent person in society that you go to a library, you're going to be quiet. So don't be yeah. that one jerk that is really noisy at the library because that's really mm-hmm. annoying. Yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty intense, the uh, the silent floor, but I think that'll really get you to work, um, you know, s- separating your relaxing space which would be your dorm i assume um from your study space basically yeah so 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 i was gonna say earlier and i forgot this point it i say like you know i i come from a position of privilege where i i have a two-bedroom apartment obviously it's super easy for me to just walk to a different room and for you even even you david are, are speaking from a position of privilege you can just walk to a different room to study because you just happen to want to separate yourself in yeah. a dorm, that's a little more difficult to do. Your workspace is mixed with your sleeping space, your relaxing mm-hmm. space, right? So so yep. it isn't possible for, for you to effectively mentally separate yourself from, from work and, 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 and relaxation. Yeah. And that's the reason why I brought up the library point is that you, you need to get out of the dorm. Like don't stay yeah. in your dorm to, to study and do your work. That's, that's really not the place to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually aware that um, some universities have, like, rooms outside of um, your dorm room just meant for studying. Um, People also use it to, you know, relax or whatever, but a lot of times when I I walked past, I I saw a bunch of students, like, intensely studying there, probably because... um, they don't want to have that distraction of like, oh, there's your bed and there's your laptop and there's everything. You just grab your books and go out into that area and just study, hit the books. It's very yeah, useful. I mean, that, that, that's the yeah. thing. Um, so so yeah. my university dorms, we have different kinds of dorms. Um, mm-hmm. The more expensive ones are, are really fancy. You get your, your own room. Um, so, so you can close your doors. Um, but it's also like a suite. So it's like, multi-bedroom so you're still sharing the apartment with multiple people but you get your own room so it's basically like a two or three bedroom apartment and you each get your own room so that's a thing Mm -hmm. and then there's also like the living room area so you can you can work in that bedroom Mm -hmm. and then go out to the living room and you know relax there so that's a thing too but there are some dorms on my university where it's literally it's like the olden days where it's a bunk bed and the desks are are right there right at the foot of your bed so that obviously mm-hmm. isn't really going to be really conducive to productivity. Yeah, it's very distracting. And um, speaking to your second point about sleep, um, I know in my junior year, I tried something different. Um, so what I did was I set up a sleeping block from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. And I did this for, I think, uh, definitely the first semester. And then I kind of dropped it off at like halfway through the second semester and I think I immediately noticed like a difference in productivity because um, when I was sleeping from eight to four um, those hours are usually hours when people honestly like socialize and Facebook is my downfall because people are just messaging me left and right um, just about stuff that's not even really important Um, so when I went home and I did my homework immediately and I just slept from 8 to 4 when I woke up at 4 there was no one to talk to right um, I, I doubt anybody stays up past 4 or wakes up that early um, so I basically had about 
three hours just to myself um, to study, to do anything that I wanted to if I already finished my homework. And I found that to be so useful for productivity because that year I had like the most AP classes that I ever had, but I was still able to get like a lot more done. And I think that was the one year where I slept eight hours, I think consistently. Um, so it's a very useful strategy just to set up that sleeping block. Um, because even though you'll say, oh, but I won't be able to finish this in time, you know, if I sleep eight hours, when you really set that eight hours, it actually forces you to kind of finish your work earlier, um, set earlier deadlines and make sure that everything is done because you have that pressure of I need to sleep eight hours a day. Yeah, it, it's ironic. I, I, you know, I, I yeah. wanted to say this earlier. It, it's quite ironic that when you have less time, yeah. you, you kind of manage your time better. Yeah, I know, and, right? And, and so when ironic. you have more time to do things, you you sort of uh, are extremely likely to sort of push things off and let things go. And then if you consistently have a lot of free time, then you really let go. Yeah, you know? my, my literature teacher actually tried to experiment with this. I think you, you know him. I'm not going to say his name. But he was giving us a research paper to do. And he told us like, okay, um, so you're going to have to pull in a lot of all-nighters before that happens. And, so, and we we're like, what the heck? Like, what are you talking about? All-nighters for like a, what, six-page research paper? This, this is ridiculous, right? But um, he assigned it to us and, you know, we were all starting off really slowly. It's like, oh, you get one day to do your intro and then one day to do your conclusion and one day to do your sources. So it's like, oh, this is super easy. You know, he's going to give us... Like after that, I was probably like, oh, he's probably going to give us like a day each to do each um, body paragraph or something like that. But he ended up pulling a fast one on us. And after we finished those three sections, he said, you have one day to do the rest of the essay. We we're all mm. like, what the heck did he just do? Mm. Um, obviously, like I think everybody finished it. Everybody finished it to what quality? I'm not sure. But after that, he said, I was just kidding with you guys. Um, this paper is actually due in like three days, but I wanted to give you guys time to actually revise it because I know that a lot of you guys just kind of do it at the last second and then um, not touch it. So I wanted to give you guys this three days to actually go through your paper and make sure it's of high quality, which is very interesting. And it really forced all of us to <laughs> to really manage our schedules better because, man, that was an, that was an intense night. I'll tell you, writing six pages. Yeah, so 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 that that's funny. That, that's really abusing. Um, my only yeah. worry with that sort of approach is that um, it's sort of like the the boy who cried wolf. You know, you yeah. start you start mm-hmm. believing less in deadlines. Yeah, um, and, and he only did that once. Yeah, he only did that once because it was at the end of the year because he knew like okay, okay. this is yeah. Yeah, that's this- that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, because because especially when you're setting your own deadlines for yourself, it is very easy to think like, oh, like I put this deadline on myself. What are deadlines? You know, like so you sort yeah. of just let them go, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's important to value deadlines yeah. and really respect deadlines because yeah. it mm-hmm. is um, you know for for better or for worse, the world sort of runs on deadlines right deadlines yeah yeah right. so so if you if you are really good at following your own deadlines if you can very very loyally follow and respect your own deadlines that you place upon yourself i am highly confident that you can accomplish any deadline because yeah if you, definitely if you don't respect yourself you won't be able to respect other obligations that's yeah definitely. my experience mm-hmm. i mean I think the point of that whole experiment, aside from, you know, being able to write a paper, 
Um, I got a B plus in that paper, by the way. I'm a little disappointed, but yeah, the the point of the point of that whole experiment was to basically show like how college is um, supposed to be because he said you should be able to finish your paper actually like fairly quickly but you want to polish it as much as possible so set these early deadlines if something is due in three months don't finish it in three months obviously or because you're you're gonna end up like at the end doing the entire paper he said finish it in the first month and then you have the next two months to just revise and that'll make things a lot easier on you because um, you have a better paper first of all and your stress level will just go down by that much because you won't have to worry about procrastinating to the last second to finish everything yeah and and i think um i I think you don't really think about this but but um i I think the the perfect example is 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 you david with the blog post you told me the other day during our internal discussions that you like to sort of leave an article just alone and then coming back to it after some time and that would allow you to sort of forget what you wrote and Mm -hmm. the the little the little details about you know the intricacies of your writing and and grammatical mistakes sort of come up a little easier and they appear easier so so time and between your first writing and then reading it over again definitely helps bring about more um fixes and, and and will reveal some problems that you might not have noticed while you were writing yeah, because I mean, I was writing an essay for an English class, and I, I read it after I got it back. I got an A on that one, and I thought it was really good. I was like, "This is a flawless paper. Everything is so great about it." And about like I say, a few weeks later, I read it over it again uh, when I was showing it to someone. Uh, sorry, you know, I was just bragging about the paper. It was so good, yeah. but I was looking at it. I'm like, "What the heck? This is really bad." You know? Yeah. I don't. I don't know if it's because I don't think my writing ability improved like that much drastically over the, the, those past weeks, but man like i could really see a difference because i was reading it in their perspective of oh i just wrote this paper and so i'm just reading what i just wrote but when you go back it's like almost like reading someone else's paper right and you get a whole new perspective on it you realize all the flaws that are there and it's like oh i could do this to make it better could do this to make it better and so you're uh you're a lot more humble i think when you come back to a paper after not touching it for a while yeah yeah, definitely. So to close off the podcast, um, Julian, I'd like you to give just three tips to any incoming college student uh, on how to um, set up a schedule and effectively study. Ooh, okay. So aside from the tips that I've already given? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Um, how how I personally like to do things is, is my biggest tip um, aside from the other tips I've given, they were all pretty big tips, but, but, but one of, one of my biggest tips is to, um, have like an inbox or like an ideas list or, um, my, my Oracle likes to call them parking lots. I don't know why, don't ask me why, but I actually quite like the term now that I'm, I've been using it, but essentially it's a, it's a sheet of paper or a note on your computer. I like to keep it in Evernote to keep it synced up with all my devices. I'm a techie. Don't, you know, don't at me. Um, but keep a sheet of paper or a note on your computer or tablet or phone that is a, a parking lot, parking space for all of your ideas and things that you have to do. And then set up a time to regularly review that note or that document, preferably every single day at the same time, every single day. And then you can review it periodically um, throughout the day to you know pick up more things to do. But this big sheet is essentially a to-do list. 
but um, it can contain ideas. Like, say, I have an idea for a podcast, I write that down. I have an idea for a blog post, I write that down. Um, if somebody asks me to do something um, and, and and I can't get to it right now, I put it on that note, and then I review that list every single day, and I get to pick and choose which tasks I want to do that day. Um, this is something that I got from a book I read called Getting Things Done by uh, David Allen, I believe is the author. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. We'll put it in the show notes if if um, if my uh, my references are incorrect. But Getting Things Done is the book. Um, he called this his inbox. And um, every single day, he would go through this list. If something needed to be done on that list can be done in less than um, several minutes, do it right then and there. Like, just do it immediately. Just get it over with. If it needs more time than several minutes, say more than 15 minutes, then schedule it. Put it into your schedule and do it later. Okay? So every single day, you you do this sort of routine. Um, ideas like, like podcasting ideas and stuff, you sort of convert those into actionable items. Like, tell David about this idea and then put that into my schedule. Or, um, or uh, draft this blog post. I, I make that a task and I, and I, you know, schedule it for later. Do stuff like that. So I always have that sheet or that note close by to be able to do that. So that's my first tip. Second tip, um, does it have to be things that I, I haven't said already? You know what? You might as well just uh, mention stuff that you've already said and emphasize them in greater detail. Yeah. Okay, sleep. Like, sleep, um, I think I have to re-emphasize that because a lot of students will sacrifice sleep in exchange for more time. In reality, in the short term, that might sound like a good idea. In reality, what you're doing is you are borrowing energy. You are essentially borrowing energy and time from the future to make up for it now. And you actually, the return that you get on your investment, if you're sort of an econ and business student, is 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 in the negative. You you get more time, but you don't have the mental energy to accomplish what you set out to accomplish. Okay, so so just cut your losses if you if you did not finish what you set out to to do that day and you have an assignment due the next day it's always better to to just go to go to bed like if you if you feel like you need more time to study just go to sleep and and just take the test because at that point you really can't do much more if you stay up late to cram and study, you are, are creating a situation in which you will not perform as well as you think you will. So more time does not necessarily mean more energy in the day. Okay, so sleep, six to eight hours, six being the minimum, eight being a pretty good uh, sweet spot if you can, if you can do that. Okay, um, so that's my second tip. My third tip is to um, Let's see. It's to have a a trusted system that you can fall back on. Uh, get information out of your head is is my third tip. Okay, and um, this is this is sort of relates to my first tip. But you need to get information out of your head. If you constantly keep everything inside your head, you reduce your cognitive ability to be able to make smart decisions. You reduce your cognitive ability to remember things. Contrary to popular belief, if you keep everything in your head, uh, oftentimes you'll have a harder time remembering new information. 
because all of the things in your short-term memory get pushed out to take in the new information, you know? So, so you know, you don't have like, like instant short-term memory loss like Dory does, right? So short-term memory information gets pushed out as new information is coming in. And it takes a long time actually for short-term uh, memory to get committed to the long-term. So you need to get information out of your head as quickly as possible so as to keep space in your short-term memory for, uh, well, for it to be committed to long-term memory. So putting things down on paper or, or putting things down into a system that you trust is the best way of doing that. So those are my three tips. Uh, have a big list to take down ideas, to-dos, and general things that you want to get out of your head. Two, get the requisite amount of sleep, six to eight hours. And three, get ideas out of your head into a trusted system. Okay, um, so now time for my three tips, I guess. Um, so the first tip I would have is to definitely study ahead um, because it'll make you less of a robot. So I feel like um, sometimes when people just study like the day before the test or one or two days before the test, um, they're really caught on um, like this new material that they're learning because um, generally they're playing catch up with a lot of the material that they haven't fully understood before. And I would uh, advise people to just master the content ahead of time because then um, when you have everything mastered, like let's say a week before the test, um, instead of thinking about it, like in terms of your most recently um, recently learned, say technique for integration, say, um, you'll think less like a robot because you'll go into the test with a fresh mind and you'll basically have everything under your belt. Um, you'll realize like what technique to use, um, what you'll need to pull from because if you're just thinking in that frame of mind of, oh, this is what I studied last night, you're gonna be stuck in that um, what you studied last night, right? So it's going to make things a lot harder for you. Um, second thing I'd advise is, um, like we spoke about earlier, study environment. I feel like it made such a huge impact um, on me. Uh, I would advise that you study away from the area where you usually like surf the web, watch YouTube, go on Facebook, because it just makes everything so much more distracting. Um, go into an area where you actually like don't usually do anything in and just go there, um, hit the books and you'll get a lot more done. And the third tip that I'd say is to just take breaks um, between your studying because I think a lot of the time, like I get really sick um, of just doing something because I find that after around 30 minutes, I'll be distracted because um, let's say I'm stuck on a problem and I won't be able to solve it. And then I'll just be doing other things while I'm trying to solve that problem. And I just say, um, after every 30 minutes, um, take a few minutes to just go play a game, um, use a bathroom, do whatever, um, and then come back to it because then you'll start off um, thinking like straight about the problem and you won't be um, so distracted by not having any break time at all um, between these intense study sessions. So that's yeah. my third tip. That's a Have pretty good one. To, yeah. Have breaks to break up literally your study session so it becomes much less intense for you. Yeah. So that's it for this episode of the Study Space Podcast. Um, we hope you enjoyed it and please tune in next time. <laughs>